Welcome to Game Changer, everybody. And before we get into today's message, just got to say thank you to Carrie and Cody for leading the worship today. They're going to be back with a great song at the end of this message called The Blessing. Come straight out of the great blessing from Numbers chapter six. Well, Game Changer. Today is the Game Changer's identity. I'm here on the National Mall, got the Washington Monument behind me for a very important reason. We'll get to that in just a second. I want to talk about an issue today that the entire Bible turns on. It is so important. Last week, I kind of I threw out a challenge and I said, can anybody think of somebody who's done some great thing in the world for humans, like a positive thing for humanity, for quality and dignity and justice that is not somewhere, somehow rooted in Jesus Christ. And the top response, thank you everybody for responding. That's awesome. Please keep responding. Throw it in the chat. Throw it in an email to me. Something I'd love to hear back from you. The top response was Gandhi. And you know, that's perfect because that's the same thing I thought of. When I threw the challenge out, the thing that was in my mind is Gandhi. Here's the thing. Gandhi was deeply, deeply impacted and influenced by Jesus Christ, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he was influenced by, he says, he says himself, three books. But it was Leo Tolstoy's book, The Kingdom of God Within You, in which Tolstoy reflected on the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it comes, that book, the title, comes from a quote from Jesus in Luke 17 that deeply impacted him. And Gandhi says that book overwhelmed him. And he and Tolstoy, they, you know, they, they commentary back and forth, wrote each other letters and stuff like this. But I want to give you some quotes. That's to show you how deeply impacted Gandhi was by the very ideals of Jesus Christ. This is what Gandhi says. What does Jesus mean to me? To me, he was one of the greatest teachers humanity has ever had. Next quote. Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians, you are not like him. Oh, we're going to make sense of that in a moment. Next quote. Live like Jesus did and the world will listen. And then finally, E. Stanley Jones, famous missionary to India, asked Gandhi one time, says, Gandhi, why are you rejecting Jesus? Here was Gandhi's response to this. Oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It is just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. There was a misunderstanding around one big, big issue. In the entire Bible, turns on this issue. So please, today is make it or break it. Today is so incredibly important. There is so much power and goodness that following the ways of Jesus Christ can have in this world, but followers of Christ have to understand this one issue. And here we go. Power conforms, but justice transforms. If we don't have an accurate understanding about God and power and then how we are to reflect God and reflect the way God uses power in the world, we will completely mess things up. This is so important. Like you can believe all the right stuff about the beliefs of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and all those, but you can get all of your belief statements right. But if you misunderstand this one about God and power and how God uses power and how we're called to reflect, well, then there's going to be a big problem. So power conforms Jesus has no interest in conforming people, but justice transforms. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to transform people's lives. Now, why am I in front of the Washington Monument? The Washington Monument is a huge power, power symbol. 
Right? It was the tallest man-made structure in the world. And it held that title for about three minutes. And then the Eiffel Tower took over. Now, do you know what man-made structure held the title for tallest in the entire world? Not for three minutes and not for three decades, but for 4,000 years. If you do, throw it in the chat. Okay, so we're digging into the book of Acts. And the opening verses of the book of Acts teach us so much about what it means to follow the ways, remember they're followers of the way, to follow the ways of Jesus Christ. I want to read you Acts chapter one. I'm going to overlap a little bit with with what we did last week, but here we go, right? Verse four, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So so this is like a, a restating of what Genesis said about going into the world and Matthew 28, which we call in the theological world, the Great Commission, to go out and spread it to all the world. But the word witness is so important. What is a witness? It's so important that Jesus says he's going to empower us by the Holy Spirit so that we could do it right. If I could sum up the word witness in one word, it is because we need to be accurate. That's why you have witnesses in the Bible. So when you have a land deal, a property deal, or a criminal case, you bring witnesses together so you can have an accurate reflection of what really took place. Now, a matter of fact, Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 18. He says, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Why? For accuracy's sake. The great 10 commandments says this, Exodus 20, you shall not bear false witness. It's not good to be inaccurate with the reflection. So Acts chapter one, gonna be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's so important that we accurately reflect the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to the issue of power, if we don't accurately reflect God on the issue of power and how God uses power, we will drive people away from the kingdom of God as happened in the case of Gandhi. Gandhi had so many bad interactions with Christians. He was treated without dignity and without respect. He tried to go into a church in London. He was asked to leave. When he was in South Africa, he was treated very, very poorly without dignity from followers of Jesus Christ. Power. How should we use power, particularly with people who are different from us? This is so critically important. Zechariah 4, 6, famous verse in the Bible, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. What does that mean? Not by might, not by power. What does this mean? Well, I want to try to describe it this way. A couple months ago, we did a Zoom, did an open Zoom Q&A. Dr. Kelly and I worked on this. Hopefully, we can get Dr. Kelly back again to do another one real soon, okay? But we worked on this, and the topic was this, misogyny. Is God and or the Bible misogynistic? And somebody wrote in the chat, which I thought was a fantastic question. Why fantastic? Because it's the same way my brain works. They said this, If God is all-powerful, we call it omnipotent. God is all-powerful. 
And the world reflects a patriarchy, particularly the time when the Bible was written thousands of years ago, and the Bible was mainly written by men, then God should have forced it to not be the case. God should have made it so that it was not reflected in the writing of the Bible that it came out of a patriarchy. God should have made it so that not just men or mainly men wrote the Bible. And I said, that's a great question. That's a great one because that's what we think. That's what I think. If God is all powerful, of course, he would cause us to adhere to his ways. Is that the way God uses power? Does God, because God is most powerful, God is all powerful, does God force things to be his way? So if God is not for patriarchy, does God force patriarchy to die out by the sheer weight of God's power? You know, I've talked to so many people and I have for so many years who are single. And here's a common thing, and I'm thinking about it now because we just did that series a month ago called The Hookup. So many singles have said to me over the years, you know, I've been praying and praying and crying and praying for a spouse. And I almost say this right up front before I get into this. You don't have to be married to be fulfilled in Christ. We find, we follow a single Messiah. But there are so many people who want to get married. They prayed for years. And there's three common reactions. Number one, I hear people say to me, well, God has just given me the gift of singleness, which I'm, I'm not sure that God is doling out that gift as much we think, but I hear that a lot. Number two is, well, God just doesn't love me, doesn't, doesn't care about me, God's not hearing my prayers, or number three, God doesn't exist. And I think sometimes, and I, I get caught up in this too because of a human understanding of power, is that if I'm praying for something, then God is just going to, like the arcade game, that God with that big claw is going to come down, grab a hold of the stuffed animal, my spouse, and pick them up and drop them in front of me. Because that's power, and God has all the power. But here's the thing, God never uses power that way. God's not going to do it. God is trying to influence us towards something. God's trying to influence other people, but we don't have to go. We can fight against what God wants. Exodus chapter 3, very important verse in the Bible, Exodus 3.14. God and Moses having a conversation. The bush is burning. God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the face of the earth, and tell him, let my people go. Moses says, who shall I say? told me to come and do this. And God says, I am who I am. This is what it says. And God said to Moses, I am who I am and what I am, and I will be what I will be. Let me shorten that for you. Hebrew can be hard to translate. There's no vowels in Hebrew, okay? I am free. God is saying, I am free. He will be who he will be. We are made in the image of God, which means that we are free. We're free. My daughter recently went to a conference on identity in Christ. And the professor speaking says the one thing that distinguishes human beings from animals is human beings have imagination. Imagination means the ability to create. God clearly throughout the Bible says we are co-creators in this world. We can create the world that we want. And he gives us the principles to create by. And we can either choose to create that way. In the beginning, there is light. There's justice. We either can choose to create justice for all, the image of God, equality for all, the dignity for all, or we can choose a different way. But we are free to create the world that we want to create. God is very clear on that, that we have freedom in God, freedom to choose our own way. Now, 
I can give you a lot of biblical examples. Let's start right from the beginning, Adam and Eve. God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit. So we're clear on this. Eating the fruit is not God's will. Number one. Number two, does God have the power to stop? Well, he just created all this. So it seems like God has a tremendous amount of power. He's omnipotent, and omnipotent, so he could stop number three. Number three, did God stop them? No. You know why God didn't stop them? Because God will never impose or force or coerce or threaten his will upon us because he respects our freedom. Next one, Genesis chapter four, Cain and Abel. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay, what was God's will? God's will was for Cain to rule over his anger and to not kill his brother. That was God's will. Number two, did God have the power to stop him? Yes, God is all powerful. Number three, did God stop him? No, he did not. So we get right out of the starting gate of the Bible. God tells us that he respects our freedom to choose and that God will never overstep his power. He will never abuse it. He will never coerce and he will never threaten. This is really important. Now, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says this. I love this quote. It's very important. Weapons win wars, but it takes ideas to win the peace. It is the very ideas of the Bible, the ideas that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ that are the inspiring ideas that bring transformation. Power coerces, it forces, and it shapes, but it does not internally transform. And God is interested in yours and in my transformation. And that happens by the winning ideas, the powerful ideas of Jesus Christ. If we misuse power and try to force people with the ideas of the Bible, it is gonna cause them to be repelled like Gandhi from it. So we need to be very careful on how we use power. The entire Bible turns on this. Now, there are some biblical examples. Let me give you a cultural current example. I want to talk about a biblical response to the little Nas X, all right? If you don't know who a little Nas X is, please uh, find a teenager right now or uh, go to the internet later because Nas X is about as hot as you can possibly be. A couple years ago, if you know what song he wrote a couple years ago that took the entire world by storm, throw it in the chat right now. If you happen to know the song right now that is rocking the world that he released during Holy Week last week, throw it in the chat. Little Nas X, call me by my name. It is the number one song on Spotify. On YouTube, I think it's probably surpassed 100 million views. Just say that Lil Nas X and his song Old Town Road and his current song that he just came out with, Call Me By My Name, is hot, would be a massive understatement, right? Over 100 million views of this song on YouTube. Song starts in the Garden of Eden. And Lil Nas is being seduced by Satan. And then he takes a stripper pole down into hell and does a lap dance for the devil, and then kills the devil, and becomes the devil. Now, to coincide with the release of this song uh, was the release of some tennis shoes called Satan Sneakers. Satan Sneakers. 
They cost you 1,018 bucks. It comes with a pentagram, they're red and black, and there's a drop of blood in them. And there's a scripture verse on the side, Luke 10, 18. That's why they cost 1,018 bucks. I'd like to tell you, you get a pair of these Satan sneakers for yourself, but they sold out in 60 seconds. How many people are buying $1,000 sneakers sold out in six seconds? So he is super duper duper hot. Now, the Christian community reacted with outrage and applause. Outraged by some, applause by other. Other people saying, this is so great. This is so great, Naz, that you're doing this. And others said, you are the devil that you're doing this and came down on it. What is the biblical response to little Naz X? Well, Let's come back to that if we can in just a moment, because we all have power to do something. We can tweet, we got microphones, we got, we can post stuff, we can say stuff, we can do stuff. There's all kinds of things that we can do. But how do we witness? Remember, that's our word today. How do we accurately witness God, particularly how God uses power? So, Washington Monuments right here, symbol of power. Eiffel Tower, twice as tall as the Washington Monument. But do you know the man-made structure that held that title for 4,000 years? The Great Pyramids at Giza. What an ultimate symbol of power. And the greatest of all, the Great Pyramid at Giza explodes out of the desert to almost 500 feet. It held the record for the tallest man-made structure in the world for 4,000 years. Oh my gosh, 2 million. 300,000 stones, each weighing an average of more than a ton. Do you know how much power it took to build that? And why also is this the ultimate symbol of power? Because it's narrow at the top, broad at the base. Pharaoh, the image of God, he thought he was God. He is all the way at the top and multitudes of people are down at the base suffering under the oppression of his power. Because that's the way power works in this world. There are two million 300,000 stones in the Great Pyramid of Giza. Do you know how much power it took to build that? Who built the Great Pyramid? Well, you know what you do is you go and you fight wars and you take money and you take people and you force people to do what you want to do. And when they die, they're disposable because you just keep doing what you want to do because you have the power. So God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You don't talk to God like that, but eventually, through an act of God, multiple acts of God, the people are let go. They go out into the desert, and God is going to give them his laws. And in the ancient Near East, you don't give a reason why to follow your laws. The ruler just sets it, and then everybody just does it. But the Bible is the only place where a reason why is given. And the single most invoked reason why Why should we follow the commands of God? Why should we follow the way of God? Why should we follow the way of Christ? Here's the single most invoked reason why. Because remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember when somebody misused power. So I want you to go and create a society that is not Egypt, that is not a society that oversteps its power, but respects people's freedom. Don't try to force things upon people. And so right before the famous Ten Commandments are given, right before Exodus 19, right after Exodus 24, God says, get the consent of the people. That is unheard of. You would never do that. You would have a ruler who would, on behalf of the people, say, we accept what you say. But in this case, God says, every single person is in my image. Every single person, their freedom, 
their dignity is respected by me. And so right before and right after, it's by the consent of the people. It doesn't matter how great the law is. God respects your freedom. We're never to impose our beliefs on somebody else. Even if those beliefs are totally biblical, totally in sync, do not impose your beliefs. American Declaration of Independence, there's no government without the consent of the governed. I wonder where they got that idea from. Exodus 19, Exodus 24. There is a respect for power. Create a society that is not Egypt. Create a society that does not overstep and misuse power, but respects freedom. Why wasn't Jesus crucified on Yom Kippur? Instead, he was crucified at Passover time. When I think about Jesus and the cross, I think about the forgiveness of my sins. Well, that's Yom Kippur. Passover is what we've just been talking about. It's about the overstep of power. Now, here's the thing. The entire Bible, I mean, the Exodus, the single most invoked reason why you follow God's commands is remember that you were slaves in Egypt. So the Exodus is the axis on which the entire Bible turns. So Jesus is crucified on Passover. Now, the cross is the ultimate symbol of powerlessness. And Jesus says himself that he could have called a legion of angels. Matter of fact, we sing this song that he could have called 10,000 angels. But instead of him giving us this huge display of power, he gives us this ultimate display of love. Now, I want to talk about monotheism, and then we're going to come back to little Nas X, okay? With a biblical response to little Nas X, respecting freedom and respecting and reflecting God in power. Monotheism. Why is monotheism so incredibly important? You know what? I've grown up with monotheism all my life. I'm like, okay, God is one. I'm not really sure what the big deal is. I didn't understand it. Actually, monotheism is a revolutionary idea, revelation to us from God, and it is completely transformative. Monotheism changed the world, and I want to try to express how and why that totally changed the world. It's called Abrahamic monotheism. This is spoken to Abraham and Sarah. I'm going to make your name great. They were nobodies in the middle of a desert in Israel. I want to make your name great today. They're the most influential people on the face of the planet because more than half of the planet follows Abrahamic monotheism. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Those three great religions are tied, not loosely, strongly at the hip. This is a major biblical belief between Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Big, big deal that we together, more than half of the population of this globe, believe in one God. Why is that so transformative? Here's why. Polytheism believe that you have all these gods and they're all kind of fighting it out. And sometimes they get along, but a lot of times they don't get along. And if you read the great creation stories, you'll find that one God kills another God and then they make the world. So there is a hierarchy in heaven. But Deuteronomy 6 says this, the greatest prayer in the Bible before Jesus prayed the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Deuteronomy 6, Jesus prayed this prayer probably twice a day, every day for his life. It's called the Shema. Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every day, the Lord is one. What does that mean? God is one. There isn't a hierarchy in heaven. And if there isn't a hierarchy in heaven, then there should not be a hierarchy on earth. If there is no oppression of power in heaven, then there shouldn't be an oppression of power on earth. 
If there's no misuse of power in heaven, there shouldn't be a misuse of power on earth. See, if it's monotheism, then that eliminates the need for the abuse of power of one human being trying to oppress and take their freedom away from another human being. And when we understand that and we're reflectors of the God who made us and we live out and reflect accurately that, we will end the injustice if we accurately reflect that. It's why monotheism is revolutionary on our world. It leads to dignity as the very foundation of our experience with God. Now, little Nas X. So here's what I would say. First of all, little Nas X, the reading that I have done, not that you're watching, but if I was speaking to little Nas X, you grew up in a home and in your own words was very religious and you felt very rejected. There was a lot of fear in your home. There was guilt. There was condemnation. You felt like you didn't matter. There was not dignity in your home and there was not equality in your home. So here's the thing I would say to you. I apologize that power in Christ and God was misrepresented to you. I apologize for that abuse in the name of Jesus Christ. Power. You are held in the highest regard by Almighty God. You have been created in His image and you are equal with all other people Justice to you, dignity to you, equality to you, 100%. And I am so sorry that that has been misused in your life. I would say the exact same thing if I ever had a chance to speak to Gandhi. Same exact thing. It's an overuse of power. Taking these ideas from God's word and trying to impose them on somebody else completely is out of bounds with God. Now, little Nas X, here's an idea though. In this video, in this song that you made, in these sneakers that you are a part of, the Satan sneakers, okay. Satan is the ultimate promoter of oppression and injustice. And what you are speaking against is oppression and injustice. And I know from your hurt and your pain and your frustration that you have felt, you are lashing out at that. But Satan is not the right answer. It's not the right, that's not the right idea. Jesus Christ is the ultimate promoter of justice and peace, equality and dignity for all people. There is a way, Proverbs 14, 12, that seems right, but the end leads to death. It's a dead end. Satan is a dead end. Jesus is the ultimate promoter of justice and dignity and equality. We're not going to get there by lifting up Satan, who's going to bring oppression instead of going down that very clear dead-end street. Jesus is the way and has always been the way towards setting people free, towards bringing dignity and justice and equality for all people. Christ is your hero. Choose the ways of Christ. If you're trying to end injustice and the lack of dignity, Christ is the way because that is the way the story is told to us and has been for so many years. Now, we are called, everybody, as I said, to wrap all this up, to be accurate witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we need to make sure that we're giving everybody a chance to choose. Now, here's the thing I want to say, because many of you know that what little Nas X sang about and what he's talked about is the LGBTQ community. I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. I get one question. I get one question. It's the question that comes in more than anything else. 
that is asked to me. I get an email. Hey, I heard about your church and it seems really cool. I got one question before I come to your church. What is that question? The question is, and it's given by people who stand on both sides of this. I just need to know where you stand on LGBTQ. And I understand it's an important question. It's a painful question for many of us, and we don't want to be embarrassed. So I understand. But homosexuality is hardly ever talked about in the Bible nine times. It is not a primary. It's not a foundational Christian belief. Here would be, from a biblical perspective, what we would say to somebody. I need to know, do you stand for justice for all? I want to know your beliefs on justice, equality, and dignity for all, because that's where the Bible begins. Now, here's the the reason why I say that. First of all, because that's primary, and homosexuality is not anywhere near that, okay? And if we get the primary right, if we get the foundation right, if we get the cornerstone in Jesus Christ right, everything else is going to fall into place. Oh, it might get a little muddy and a little murky here and there, but basically, overall, that's where the power is. The power is in the justice, the dignity, and equality for God. By God. That's why it's in Genesis chapter 1. That's why God starts it off that way. And if we will focus on that, that is the answer. Last thing. I said it earlier. There's 613 commands in the Bible, yet there is not a word in Hebrew for obey. Not a word. When I think about obey, I think, obey, right? Gonna force you, gonna make you, gonna conform you. Better obey. It's not a word in Hebrew for obey. The closest thing we get to it is the Shema. I, 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 I prayed the prayer, read the verse a few moments ago, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, Shema. It's the closest thing we get. What does the word mean? It means to respond. I'm going to ask you now. Here is the answer to transforming our world into making it a better place. It's following these great ideas, as Jonathan Sachs talks about, that the Bible introduces us to the world. Justice, dignity, and equality for all people as found in the pages of the Bible introduced to us first there before anything else. And I want to ask you, will you be a follower of the way? Will you be a part of the solution, not the problem? Will you choose a road that's not a dead-end street? Instead of choosing the way of the devil who leads to ultimate injustice, will you choose the way of Jesus Christ that leads to ultimate dignity, equality, and justice? Some of you are Star Wars fans. And as Mandalorian says, this is the way. And I'm going to ask you, will you choose it? And will you choose it now? And will you choose it today? And if you do, would you click that button that's in the chat right now and say, you know what? I want to be a follower. I want to be a follower of the ways of Jesus Christ. Because it is those great ways and those great ideas that will transform the world. We have a great opportunity before us and we should take it. This is the way. Now, Carrie Job is going to lead us in a final song. And it is an amazing song. It's taken straight from the Bible, the book of Numbers, the great priestly blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And as Carrie and Cody lead us in this song, I want to just encourage you to make a commitment to be a follower of the ways of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we contemplate this incredible commitment and decision right now, Help us, Lord, to recognize your ways and to walk in them. In Christ's name, amen.